There's a story that's told of an old king in Africa who had a close friend with whom he grew up. And the friend had a habit of looking at every situation, no matter how good, no matter how bad. He looked at every situation and he would always say, this is good. Well, one day the king and his friend, they were out hunting. And the friend prepared all the guns and he loaded all the guns up and somehow he made a mistake in doing something with one of the guns. And as the king fired the gun, the gun misfired and took off a thumb. So his friend came up and looked at him, looked at the, you know, worked on trying to get things under control with the bleeding and so forth. But he looked at the situation and he says, this is good. Well, this made the king mad because this was not good. He said, this is my thumb. My thumb is gone. And he got so mad at his friend that he put his friend in jail. And his friend sat in jail for several years. The king was just mad at him and never really gave it much of a thought after that. But then the king was out on an expedition and he got separated from the rest of the, the, rest of the group he was with and came upon some cannibals who took him prisoner, tied him up to a stake, had the firewood all ready to go and were going to cook him and have him for dinner. As they came up, they looked at him and found out he was missing the thumb and it's superstitious for cannibals to eat one who is not whole. So they untied him and let him go. He proceeded to go on back home and he went back down to his friend who was down in, in uh, prison and he said, I made a great mistake. I never should have locked you up. I never should have punished you this way. Will you please forgive me? As he told him the whole story of what happened with the cannibals, the friend says, I, I don't need to forgive you. forgive you. This is good. He goes, what do you mean this is good? You've wasted three years sitting here in jail. Surely this is not a good situation. He says, no, if I hadn't been in jail, I would have been with you. <laughs> well, it's good to have some habits, isn't it? Some habits can get us into trouble. Some habits can be good. We're going to be looking at habits. As we talked about two weeks ago, we looked at thresholds. That a threshold, as we looked at it, is not necessarily, you can look at plateaus too, but a threshold is not necessarily where you've hit spiritually and topped out. It is a threshold is where you get doing something spiritual to where something else starts. A threshold is where something begins, as we looked at the definition. And many of us are obedient, obedient, obedient. And then all of a sudden, something happens and we start disobedience. Some of us, we hear, we hear, we hear, we hear, hear from God, hear from the Spirit. Then something happens and we don't hear anymore. There's a threshold that we hit. We talked about the thresholds in your life, the natural thresholds. That you have a threshold of dirtiness in your car. You have a threshold of dirtiness in your house. You have a threshold of dirtiness in your kitchen. You'll tolerate dirtiness up to a point. But how many of you know when your kitchen, when your car... When your house gets to a certain point, you say, I can't take it anymore, and cleaning begins. Something else happens so that the dirtiness goes away. But you all know you can go out and you can clean out your car, spick and span, take it over to the car wash, wash it outside, wash it inside, vacuum it all out, throw out all the trash, and start off with a brand new car. And how long will it take for it to get back into the situation you were in before? There is a threshold of dirtiness that we tolerate in certain things. There's a threshold of an organization that we have in our life. There's all these thresholds of things that go on and we're okay with it up to a point. But when it hits a certain point, we say no more and we go and we work on it and we push it down and we get it taken care of. But again, it will work its way on up because we have a threshold. We have established certain patterns. How does your car get into the condition that it gets into? Do you not have a pattern? Do you not have a habit? 
of when you are eating something right and and you you know go to the Burger King, the McDonald's, or whatever it is, the Wendy's, and when you get done, you put all the stuff in the bag that they gave you and throw it in the back seat. Put it in the passenger side or something like that and, and there it sits until, you know, you go to another one and then that one gets balled up and thrown in the back seat until you hit, you know, you have a threshold of five or six or ten or twenty bags of food uh, in the back seat. And then you go on and you clean them all out. Now, the reason that you get there is because you have a habit of throwing the bag in the back seat. You have a habit of throwing trash on the floor, whatever it is. But it's the habit because that, that, that trash doesn't get on the floor of your car by itself. Somehow it got into your car. How many of you have a habit of bringing things into your car and not necessarily bringing them back out? That's how clutter begins. More stuff comes in than is allowed to come out. But you, you'll notice other people, foreigners or you know people from other, other places, who every time that something enters the car, it must also exit with you. We can call this a monkism. If Monk had a car, he does not. I'm convinced he doesn't have a car because he just couldn't take vacuum in and out every day. But if Monk had a car and a speck of dirt came in on his shoe, what would he do? He wouldn't just reach down and pick up the speck of dirt, would he? No, he'd have to vacuum the whole thing out, brush the upholstery, take care of the whole thing, get it all done. And we would look at that and say, what a waste. But there comes a point where it's no longer a waste for you and you will get in there and you will take care of that. And you'll do it. So we talked about thresholds. But we want to look at how we can break those thresholds because we all have these thresholds in our life. These places where obedience continues until something happens. Where we walk in love continually until something happens. But something happens. How many of you walk in love, walk in love, walk in love until somebody says something you don't like? How many of you walk in love, walk in love, walk in love until somebody pushes the wrong button? Walk in love, walk in love, walk in love until you're in a bad mood. See, something happens, something comes along that causes us to no longer do what we were doing. We listen to the Word, listen to the Word, listen to the Word, and all of a sudden something happens and we don't listen to it anymore. Something happens that that keep us from that. Well, there's habits... Of pattern. We're going to look at the habits of pattern first. Now, we're not just talking about habits of pattern where you, you get up and say, I'm going to have a pattern. How many of us have said this in our life? I'm going to have a pattern that every morning I'm going to wake up and pray. I am not talking about those kind of habits. This is not habits of pattern we're talking about. That's all good. If you all want to do that, you can go ahead and say, I'm going to wake up every morning and pray. I'm going to go to bed every night and pray. I'm going to study the Word every morning before I go to work. I'm going to study the Word every night before I go to bed. Whatever it is that you're going to do, every lunch I'm going to do this. Or I'm not talking about those kind of patterns. What we're talking about is a little bit different pattern. If somebody were to come up to you, I thought I put it in there, and they were to hand you a, a bill. Now this one in particular is a 20. But if somebody were to hand you a 1, how many of you would just take that and stuff it in your pocket? Not give it much thought. But if somebody handed you a $20 bill, would you do the same thing with it? If somebody handed you a $100 bill, would you do the same thing? If someone handed you a $500 bill, would you treat it the same way you treated the 1 or the 20 or the 100? Does it, is there not a point at which the denomination on the bill 
changes what you do? You're more careful with it? Now, I, the job I had, I used to carry a lot of money. I mean, we're talking, and we're not talking checks, I had checks too, but I had a lot of cash. And it got to the point that I did not think two, two minutes, two seconds really, about receiving a thousand dollars and jamming it in my pocket. Didn't even think about it. It's just normal stuff. I would walk around with several thousand dollars in my pocket for a day's work. And I would rather have it on my pocket than in the truck. I'd rather have it with me than someplace else. But I would have that. Now, you can. I would have four pockets. You know, most guys, we have four pockets. We have two in the back. We have two in the front. And so I would have to keep a habit of it. One pocket is my money. The other pocket is work's money. But, you know, you have several thousand dollars. You can't keep it all in one pocket, so you have to spread it out over a couple of pockets. And so the other three pockets were pretty much dedicated to work money, and one pocket was for me. And so I had to make sure if I would go into a restaurant that I pulled out the right pocket. Because if I would go into the wrong pocket, I could be pulling out several thousands worth of dollars. And if you stop in at a fast food place and pull out seven thousands worth of dollars and people see that, you probably attract some attention. The idea is not to attract attention. The idea is just to have it there. Because, you know, I'm going through Atlantic City, places like that. Atlantic City is not a good place to have cash. Some parts of these places I was in was not a great place to have cash. Most of the other places were not so bad, but certain places you just didn't want people to know that you had a whole lot of cash on you and that that was, that was going on. So you had to develop habits. So I always, always, always had to use one pocket for me and the other pockets for work. Always had to make sure I did that. So it was, it was a habit. So if work gave, if people gave me money for the, for their bills and things, it would go in certain pockets. And then I'd have to get it back later on and organize it because you see, if you came up short on the money, guess who paid it? You didn't just go in there and say, you know what, I came up $100 short. I, I guess, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that wasn't it. It, it. You came up with that money. It was going to be there. So if you're given a $100 bill, where do you put it? What do you do with it? How, how do you treat it? It's got to be something different. There's a pattern that we have when we receive certain things, when things happen to us. Now, there's three patterns we're looking at here. The first one is dynamic. This is pertaining to or characterized by energy or effective action. Vigorously active or forceful, energetic. This is a dynamic pattern. Pertaining to or characterized by energy or effective action. The next one is apathetic. Having little or no interest or concern. And the third is erratic. Having no certain or definite course, wandering, not fixed. And people generally have one of these kind of patterns that they, they operate with. Either they're dynamic, either everything is organized, everything is put together. If we're looking at money, a dynamic person would have all the money in their pocket with all the same bills next to each other. All the bills going in the same direction. All the, not, not several wads, but all tied up into one wad. All, all together. With the hundreds and then the twenties and then the tens and then the fives and then the ones. And it's all, ironed out and, and or straightened out, that's a dynamic person. An apathetic person is one who takes all that money and stuffs it into their pants and then when you get to a certain number, a certain denomination, $100, $500, $1,000, you pull it out and organize it. But up until then, you really don't care. You, just, you have some concern for it, but you, it's, just, it's not overwhelming you. This is not taking you on that way. 
and then you have the erratic one, and there is no idea what's going on with this person. They may have put it in their shoe. They may have put it in their shirt pocket. It may be in a book somewhere. They may have put it into a briefcase or a purse. Or who knows where it is. They can just be wandering around reading the book. Oh, I guess I must have put some money in here. And it's just, it's just erratic. It's all over the place. These are the three ways that you could deal with that. The goal here is to develop consistent word-based patterns of behavior. That is our goal. We want to have consistent word-based patterns of behavior. What does the Word of God say that you sh- how you should respond? What kind of a pattern are you supposed to have? Now, the guy we're going to look at here is Moses. Moses was dynamic. I'm not going to go into Scriptures and all this. You, we've taught about Moses enough times. You all know about Moses. We can just refer to some things that he has done. But Moses was dynamic toward the things under his charge. Was he not? As far as Israel was concerned, did he have an apathetic attitude towards them? When something happened with Israel, was he dynamic in his approach to this? Did he get before God to find out what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to fix this? He didn't take any of those situations. He was so dynamic about it that he began to to have concern over everything. And his father-in-law had to come and tell him, he says, you are troubling yourself with too many things. You need to get some other people. You need to hand some of this stuff off to them. You let them judge Israel, judge the things and the harder stuff they'll bring to you. And so he got so dynamic about it. He was so active in everything that he wasn't getting all the things done. And so someone had to come and tell him about it. He says, look, that's, that's back on some, some of the things. There are some areas that demand your attention. Other areas just don't demand it as much. He was dynamic towards the things under his charge. He became apathetic toward the things that were not. But he wasn't always that way. But he developed an apathetic pattern to the things that were not under his charge. So the smaller things that had to be judged, well, that's, that's theirs. That's this person over here. They need to judge that. They need to take care of that. And he let them begin to have that. So he had apathy for those things that were not under his charge. He had a dynamic nature to those things that were under his charge. He grew out of being erratic. Moses started off as being erratic. He would approach one thing dynamically and then kind of apathetically and then dynamically and then he'd be back and forth on it. Did he not do this with the call of God on his life? When he realized that God had called him to be the deliverer of Israel, does he not dynamically attack it and go out there and find the injustices that were being done and try to right them? And then when Israel didn't accept that all that well, he became apathetic towards it. And he just, well, forget it. Then I just won't do any of this. And he ran away and let it go for a long time. He was erratic in that. We do not want to see erratic patterns in us, but I do want to see a dynamic pattern, a dynamic nature to the things that are under my charge. I do want to develop an apathetic nature to the things that are not under my charge. Now, how can apathy ever be good? Because there are some things, folks, that are not under your charge and you are right now concerned about them. But they are not under your charge. But how many of you are very concerned? How about overwork? How many of you are concerned with some of the decisions your bosses are making? You're concerned in how they affect you, but really you don't have any control over that. If you have input in it, then be dynamic in what you have input in. But if you don't, why are you losing, losing sleep over it at nighttime? Don't be messing with that. Don't, don't be getting into that way. You know, I, can, I find myself, even when we were out there, Raymond, enjoying all the things that, that are going on, I have to make sure that I stay apathetic to the things that go over at Ramah that are not under my charge. 
Because, you know, no matter what you see and what goes on, you can always see some things that go on and say, well, I don't like that, and that shouldn't be going on, and what about this over here, and, and so forth. And then, you know, we were kind of finding ourselves doing that, and one of the meetings that was going on said, oh, why did they stop it? Why did, oh, man. We have to become apathetic to those things that are not under our charge. Because if not, you begin to worry and fuss and, and fret over stuff that you have no, a, no ability to change. Now, if you want to have an ability to change, then grow your sphere of influence. We've talked about that, maybe not in recently, but other times. You grow to a place where you can be having some influence in there. But have, take that dynamic nature that you have and focus it into the areas that are in your charge right now. That's what you do. That's what you need to focus on. Now, don't worry about brother or sister so-and-so. Youth brother or sister so-and-so has a call in their life and they're supposed to be doing this and they're not doing it. How many of you have ever been considered concerned to a place where you have become dynamic because brother or sister so-and-so is not doing what they're supposed to be doing? Not functioning the way they're supposed to be functioning. All right? And we get real concerned. Why are they not? And you get out there and you get in their face and you need to listen to God. You need to respond. Don't you feel the call of God on your life in this area? Don't you know that you're supposed to do... And we get in there, we try and be God for them. We try and be the Holy Spirit for them. You know what? There's only one Holy Spirit. He does not need help. <laughs> As your kids grow up, you have been the Holy Spirit to them when you have been younger, when they were younger. <laughs> you would tell them what God said to do, right? Right or wrong, you'd tell them what God said to do. God does not want you to do that. God does not want you to eat the cookies. God does not want you to lie. But as they grow up, you have to release some of that and let God be God to them. Let the Holy Spirit speak to them. And so you have to begin to back off a little bit and say, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is God saying to you? And that's a hard thing to do because we like to still stay on in there and say, well, God's not saying, I know God's not saying that to you. What are you doing? I guess I'm just alone in that one, huh? <laughs> but see, there's some places where we have to grow a little bit apathetic. I'll be willing to stand on the sideline here and, and let that go on. And let that happen. Or there's other areas where we have to be dynamic. And the thing is, if you get this confused, you mess up your patterns. You mess up the influence that you can have. There are sometimes you need to stand on back and you listen to someone. I, I mean, I have had to do this. You listen to someone and you're telling, they're telling what they're going to do and you know you're missing God. You're missing God. But they haven't asked me what they ought to do. They haven't asked for my opinion. They're just telling me what they're going to do. You know what I do anymore? Okay. Go right ahead. If they want my opinion, they'll ask for it. And I'll gladly give it to them. I do not have a problem giving an opinion to someone who asks for it. But I have to make sure I be careful about giving opinions on stuff that people aren't asking for. Because generally, if no one asked for it, they probably didn't want it. Are you good at receiving things you don't want? Hello, anybody here? <laughs> We're not so good at that, are we? If I don't want it, I don't want it. I don't want to take it. My my uh, wife would tell me about her grandmother, and uh, she wishes that I had gotten to meet her. And certainly, I, I wish I got to meet her too, just to, to know someone who was such a great influence. But there is one aspect of her grandmother that I am glad I did not meet her for. She said, if you sat at her table, she would insist upon you you would eat what she said. And I says, no, I eat what I want. And you will know this is very much part of me. I will eat what I want. If I want more. I go back and get more. If I don't want more, I don't necessarily go back and get more. Now, sometimes I've given in in times past to people who have tried to push things on me and, and things like that. But I've gotten stronger about it since then. And if I'm not hungry, I don't eat it. 
If I don't want to taste it, I don't taste it. If I'm curious, I'll taste it. There are, how many of y'all know people? They'll just put stuff. Oh, you need to eat more. Oh, you need to have more. Oh, you need to do this more. My, uh, my father tells us a story when we were younger of my aunt. And I knew this aunt. I knew her very well. Uh, we used to spend a lot of time over, over there. And she uh, made a lot of different things. She lived over in Jersey. Had a lot of blueberries. And so a lot of blueberries, things were out, out there with her. But she would make this green tomato pie. How many of you have ever had green tomato pie? Thank God I am among those who have never had green tomato pie. Because I cannot imagine what red tomato pie would taste like, let alone green tomato pie. But this is one of those things that she would make. It was a delicacy to her. It was a big thing that she would make. And she made this up. And my father was in there. And he sat on down. And his philosophy of life was, if you don't like it, eat it fast and get it out of the way. <laughs> and so when the dessert was served and green tomato pie was put in front of him, he adopted that philosophy with reckless abandon. And he ate that green tomato pie so fast, my aunt saw it, and she said, oh, you really like that, and went and got him a second piece. (laughs) Not so good. (laughs) Some apathy would have worked in there for him if he could have had that. But Moses was very dynamic. He began to, to change his life. He became very dynamic to the things that God put under his charge, to the things that he had influence over. And he began began to have apathy to some of those other things to let other people Take over that. Let other people take care of that one. I'll let that go. And these patterns need to become part of us. There are some things you have to have be dynamic about. Some of you, just going back to the examples we had before, cleaning the house, washing the dishes, taking care of the car, have apathy in that area. Now, for some of you, it bugs you. How many of you wish your car was cleaner than it is? Wish there were less dishes on a regular basis in your sink or wish that your house was cleaner or the list goes on, all the different things that you could list, list out there. Well, there's a way that you can change it. So habits of pattern, that's the first one. But habits of responses, this is where we really want to focus some of our time. Habits of responses. First three responses here. The first one is mimic. Some people, when they see something, they mimic it. They just mimic it. I, I, it don't matter... They don't need to know all the truth behind it. They don't need to find out all the ins and outs about it. All they need to know is this person did it, so I'm going to do it. Ananias and Sapphira are that kind. They heard Barnabas. Barnabas went and sold some land, brought the money in, and saw what happened. They liked what they saw happen to Barnabas. So they decided to mimic his actions, and they took a piece of land they had, sold it, but decided only to give part of the money to the church. And the rest they were going to keep, but they were going to present the offering as if it was all the money. And we all know what happened to them. They didn't make it too long after that. Acts chapter 5 for that one if you want to go back and read it. That's a mimic response. There is a critic response. Judas with the oil in John chapter 12. He saw Mary come on in and anoint Jesus with his oil. Very expensive oil. And he made the comment. He says, this oil could have been sold and the money given to the poor. And Jesus rebuked that, didn't he? That's not what's going on here. That's not right. Now, the Bible also commented in John chapter 12 that Judas didn't do this because he was concerned for the poor. He did it because he regularly stole out of the money, the money till. And there would have been more money to steal from. So there's the critic. And we, a critic response is every time that you see something go on, a critic comes up on the inside of you and begins to say, ah, that's bad because of this reason. Ah, oh, that's no good because of this reason. And you're always finding fault with things. Don't keep finding fault with things. That's the critic response. Here's the other one, the skeptic response. This is Thomas over in John chapter 20. 
Thomas, he wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came and presented himself. And so the disciples came and told him later on, Thomas, Thomas, Jesus is alive. We saw him. And he says, we all know the famous words, unless I see the holes in his hands and his feet and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He is a skeptic. And this is another response that we can have. Then when we hear something that is truth, we are skeptical about it. We make snide comments about it. We make reasons for why we're disbelieving, why we're not going after that thing. So here's three responses. The mimic response, the critic response, and the skeptic response. This is different from the patterns. We have the dynamic pattern, the apathetic pattern, and the erratic pattern. But here are these responses. I can either mimic the things that I see, I can be a critic of it, and find out all the things that are wrong, or I can be a skeptic. I'm not going to believe that. Unless this happens, I'm not going to believe. No, that's not going to be so. Now here's this. Fill this in for you. The more our responses change by the who, the what, and the how, the lower our spiritual threshold. The more our responses change by the who, the what, and the how, the lower our spiritual threshold. It'd be just simply like this. Let's take the skeptic response. Here comes teacher so-and-so. They get on up and they teach you something from the Word of God. And what they teach you is truth. But because it's teacher so-and-so, I don't know that that's going to be right. I mean, that's brother so-and-so. That's sister so-and-so. Skeptic. And then another teacher that you know better gets up and they teach it and you immediately receive it. Because of who it was. You see, the who influenced you. What's supposed to influence you? Your spirit. Your spirit is the one that's supposed to tell you between truth and what is truth and what is false. You're letting the who. Oh, that was Brother Benny Hinn. I don't really like Brother Benny Hinn. I don't think I'm going to believe that. See, you let the who influence you. Yeah, but the what? This brother Creflo Dollar on money again. Every time I hear him, he's talking about money. I'm so tired of hearing brother Creflo Dollar talk about money. Uh, uh, by the way, who's got more money than you? He or, or you? <laughs> you know what? Someone's got some money and you want some money? Listen to what they have to say. Don't let the what get in the way of that. I don't care if brother Creflo Dollar teaches the money every time you turn them on on TV. Is it truth? If it's truth, receive it. If it isn't truth, then don't. Stop getting messed up by the who and the what. Learn to listen to your spirit. Develop that habit. See, we've got a habit. We have these habits and responses where the who influences me. Well, who who said that? Who taught that? Well, what did they teach? The who, the what... And the how. Oh, I get so tired when I see that one preach and he has to bring out that handkerchief. So tired of seeing him with that handkerchief. Don't, don't let, I don't bring out handkerchiefs. I've seen people who do. They got that handkerchief out there and they're waving. The crowd's loving it. Stop letting the how get in the way. Don't you mess with that. Sometimes you can let the how get in the way. You, you, you look at it anymore. I'll tell you what, the, the trend is on in this country. Holy cow. The trend is on to be sloppy in church. 
And I'm not talking about the people who come on in to listen. I'm talking about the people who come on in to preach and to be up on stage. The trend is on for sloppy. Now, there might be a new trend. It might be a thing that, you know, all right, that makes more people feel welcome. I'm, you're going to see me like this probably till Jesus comes home. Because, see, I come into the house of God. I've got to give God my best. That is the way I approach it. And I, I tell you, what, even, even down in churches in Tulsa, the places we go, how sloppy some of them were. Some of them would come on up and the shirt's not even tucked in. Not buttoned. Just sloppy. And that concerns me. But you see, it's not an area of influence I have any power over. I have to grow in a pattern of apathy to that. But as far as my dress is concerned, I am going to be dynamic. <laughs> as far as our ushers are concerned, I am going to be... Thank you very much. <laughs> Absolutely. But I have to make sure that I do. Because otherwise, you know, here comes his brother. He comes on in to preach. Shirt on, not tucked in. Looking sloppy. What do I want to do? How can this one minister to me? Look how sloppy they are. The who, the what, and the how. If my response changes because of the who, the what, or the how, I will lower my spiritual threshold. I'm going to keep it low. I've got to get out of that. You've got to stop being phased by all those kind of things. Our responses are to be based on the Word. Our responses are to be based on the Word. They are not to be based on how you're dressed, how you look, how you sounded, your tone, or any such thing as that. How many times have we justified getting angry at someone not because of what they said, but how they said it. Well, I didn't particularly like your tone when you said that. Well, you may not have particularly liked their tone, but that does not give you the reason to act unscripturally. You are still bound to operate by the love of God, by the Word of God, whether or not you liked how they sounded. Whether you liked who they were how they were dressed, any of those kind of things. Our responses are based on the Word of God. And therefore, always the same. The responses should always be the same. They shouldn't be different. They should always be the same. Because the Word is always the same. Now, we'll put one exception here. Except where the Spirit shows us God's compassion. There are times that God's compassion has overridden what His Word has said. Yeah, believe it or not, that's in there. There are times God's compassion has overdone what His Word has said. How do you receive things from God? By faith. Did everyone in the Word of God receive what they received by faith? But doesn't the Word of God say we receive by faith? But yet there's people who didn't receive by faith. How did they receive? God's mercy, God's compassion. Take a look at some of Jesus' responses here. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. From there he rose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and, and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek 
a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. If she kept asking him, she asked more than once, right? And Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. How many of you would have been offended at that statement? And gone right on home. That's it. i take my Bible and go home. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Now, Jesus, we look at this lady is coming. And just like many of other people from Israel, come and heal my daughter. Come and cast out this demon from my daughter. And Jesus ignores her. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't say not right now, maybe later on, uh, maybe after I leave and the disciples, they'll come on back and they'll take care of your situation. He doesn't say anything to her, just completely ignores her. And she keeps saying. And he keeps ignoring her. And so finally, he's, he says something. And he said, it's not good to take the, the bread from the children's table. What he's saying was his role, his job, his calling was to bring the word of God to the Jews. Because it was to come to the Jews first. And she was not a Jew. She was a Gentile. But she understood. She did not try and question his call. This is what was amazing about her. She does not try and question that. She does not say, well, I'm a person too. What about equal rights? (laughs) Doesn't go with any of that sort of stuff. She just says, that's fine. But all I need is a crumb. And even the dogs that wander around the table get to eat the crumbs. Because kids are always throwing stuff on the floor. You know, the peas they don't want. The Brussels sprouts that shouldn't have been on the table in the first place. (laughs) Glory to God. (laughs) Here's those little dogs coming around. So he says, because of this statement, because of what you said, it's taken care of. See, God will always answer faith. Now, there's a situation. There was no compassion. It's all faith. But she made the statement. But Jesus' response was not because... Oh, let's feel sorry for the girl. Jesus' response was because of faith. Over in Mark chapter 9, verse 17. Not reading the whole story here, jumping in the middle. They had brought the boy to the disciples. The disciples couldn't do anything with him. Verse 17. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And he, so he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. The only question here is, can he believe? All things are possible, but if you can believe. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, oh Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus saw that the people came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Dead and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. So Jesus sees an urgency on this because the people are coming. When Jesus is casting out demons, he does not like people around. 
You'll notice the most time he gets people out of the way. I heard one person teach on this. I cannot remember who it was. We were probably listening to in the shop one time because uh, it was recently. But someone had, uh, had taught that the reason that Jesus got rid of everybody when he was casting out demons is because demons can sense fear. And when they sense fear, they'll jump, they jump on the fear. He'd take care of this demon before fearful people get around. I hadn't thought of that that way until that person said it. But when Jesus saw that the people came running together, they were all coming in there. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And we went on with that. We'll get in. We've gotten into that before. But here we see compassion was in here. There was faith, but there was also compassion. And Jesus is responding to, to the faith that was there, but then he also had compassion for this one. Turn over to Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat. What he heard was that John the Baptist was killed, beheaded, to a deserted place by himself. So when Jesus heard it, this is sad news. And when Jesus heard it, he departed. His intention is to get by himself. But when the multitude heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. So his intention was to get away from the multitude and be by himself for a little while, or at least be him and his disciples. But the multitude saw and knew where he was going, and they on foot got there before he did. And so when he lands the boat, there's this huge multitude. How many of you would like to have the response when you came on out? Y'all, leave me alone for a day. You all get a day off from work. Give me a break. How many of you are responding that way? The who, the what, and the how can change your response. But Jesus doesn't do that. He has compassion for them. He healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy food themselves. You know what they're really saying? We came here to get by ourselves. It's getting late. Get rid of them. Let them fend for themselves. It's time for us to be alone. So that's their mindset. You've got to get the idea of the mindset here. Not only was, was Jesus preparing to be by himself, so were the disciples. Now, if you go from town to town, meeting after meeting, take care of multitude after multitude, because, you know, the, the disciples are there taking care of. They've got prayer lines. They've got things like that people do. Someone's got to manage the crowd. The disciples are out there managing the crowd. They're taking up the offering. They're handing down the extra Bibles for people who didn't bring theirs. Printing the outlines and handing them all out to people. No, they're not doing those kind of things. But, you know, there's, there's things you've got to do to set up the meetings and to, to get everything taken care of and to, to move everybody in. And so they're, they're the ones that are doing that. And they're looking forward to not doing it for a little while. And here they are, a big multitude, and they've got to do it again. So now they're ready for them to go home. And instead, Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. What do you mean, let's give them something to eat? They are not, this spiritually, folks, they are not here. They are not ready for this. They want them to go home. They want them to be done. How many of you ever had house guests came on over? You're ready for them to go home. They are not ready to go home. <laughs> this is what they're experiencing. If you have been through that, you know exactly where the disciples are. 
That is their mentality. How spiritual do you feel at that point? When No matter what they say, do, how are you responding? From the Word? From the flesh. Angry. Mad. <laughs> so forth. You want to go back to the story with the woman of Tyre. Right? Call them dogs. Y'all dogs go home. He said, you don't, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Y'all know the rest of the story from here. They conduct the feeding of the multitude. Not that the disciples were all that much into it. But you see, Jesus' responses were ordered by the Word. But He knew His God so well. He knew when the compassion of God began. And He knew when the compassion of God was not there. He did, does not minister to the woman from Tyre out of compassion. But He does minister to her out of faith. He ministers these folks out of compassion. We should be predictable. How many of you would say the people who know you, they would say, I know how they're going to respond. We should be predictable. But we should be predictable in such a way that people know that our response will be based on the Word of God. How many remember the program that was out there? What would Jesus do? The WWJD. Everything was out there. The, you know, the pins... The uh, stuff you put in your neck, the bracelets, uh, screensavers, mouse pads, whatever it was, you know, shirts, they were all out there, WWJD. I did not buy any of those. I, I didn't have any of those, but some other folks may have had that. And we was going around, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? The whole basis of that campaign is that whatever Jesus did was predictable. That you could know what Jesus would do. That is the whole basis of the campaign. Without that basis, you have no campaign. So what they were basing it on was we can look back over Jesus' life and look how He operated and we can figure out what He would do and we should do that. And it's a good idea. Certainly it's a good idea, but we should be predictable. People should know what you're going to do. But it should be predictable based upon the Word of God and based upon the will of God. That's where our responses should come from. Don't let the who, the what, and the how change your response. How many times have people been, been in your life and you misread them? You thought they were mad at something. You thought they were angry at something. And then you responded according to how you thought they were. Come to find out that wasn't going on at all. And, but you still have your response out there, don't you? Don't mess with it. Everyone else might be wrong. You keep yourself right. That's all you got to do. Well, we have habits of pattern. Habits of response. Our habits of pattern are dynamic, apathetic, and erratic. Our habits of responses are mimic, critic, and, and skeptic. But here's this last one. I called it static. Static. If you have a static IP address, what do you have? An IP address that is always the same. You pay good money for that. Most of you folks who just have a service at home, you don't have a static IP address. It's not always the same. You only need that when you have to find your computer and log into it. But most, uh, most people don't have that. The static here. Pertaining to or characterized by a fixed or stationary condition. Pertaining to or characterized by a fixed or stationary condition. That is static. That's where we ought to be. Now we're seeing the same thing here in the habits of thought. The first off, there is the mystic, there is the academic, and there is the plastic. 
the mystic, the academic, and the plastic. A person who has, who has thoughts that are mystic. If they are a Christian person, you're going up to them and you say, what do you think about this? I, I, I feel that God is saying, right? That's a mystic person. Everything that they're going to have an opinion on, they have to hear from God. Tap into the spirit realm. We've mentioned it before. They go through the shopping, the, the shopping aisles and they stop by the cookie area. Should I buy the Oreo cookies or the chocolate chips? And they're waiting to hear from God as to whether they should buy the Oreo cookies or the chocolate chips. You know which one I buy? The ones I want. Or the ones that are on sale. I mean, sometimes if the chocolate chips are on sale, but you are in the mood for Oreos and some milk at home, those chocolate chips just are not going to cut it. And so you may have to pay an extra dollar, but it's worth the extra dollar to get the cookies that you want. Because you think you got in that cookie out and all of a sudden you envision Oreo cookies and, and milk. Oh, see, milk was just made for Oreo cookies. I'm just convinced of it. God made milk way ahead of time because He knew eventually Oreo cookies were going to be made and that they would be there to pair it up. I do not dip my Oreo ch- chocolate chip cookies. I'm sure that some of you was thinking about that, but you should know me by now that no, the cookie goes in first and the milk follows. <laughs> I do not dissect my Oreo cookies. Do not take them apart. I eat them as they were made. As God made them, so they are. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But that's the mystic. Then you have the academic. The academic person would go into the cookie aisle and they would look at the Oreo cookies and they would analyze the fat content and the vitamin content and the calorie content of the two of them and decide which one from that standpoint they ought to buy. I really don't care. I don't care how many cookies, how many calories are in the Oreo cookies or how many calories are in the chocolate chip cookies. If I am in the mood for chocolate chip cookies, it's chocolate chip cookies, folks. That's just the way it is. The academic. Everything has a book value. Everything has a something to read about. I've got to understand this. I have textbook knowledge and all this stuff. And that's how we're going to come about it. And this, is, this is the way my thoughts work. This is the way the things work in, it, in my thoughts. And then there's the plastic ones. And plastic is one who they have adapted a way of thinking because they know that's what they should do, but it has never become part of them. They are separate from it. They hear the way faith people talk. They hear about the way word people talk. They hear about how healed people talk. And they talk that way. And they try and think thoughts along that way. But it has never become part of them. And because of that, sometimes out of the mouth slips things of what they really believe. Because it is plastic. It's not real. It's fake. Habits of thought. The mystic. The academic. And the plastic. And here again we see the static. The static pertaining to or characterized by a fixed or a stationary condition. The word is always the same, folks. The only changes we make should be to walk in line with it. The only changes we make in our life is when I find out that my behavior is different from the word of God. 
And when I find that there is a difference, I didn't know this before, but now I'm seeing there's a difference. I'm walking this way. I thought this was okay. But now the Word of God has become revelation to me. I understand this about the Word of God now. And immediately I make the change and get my behavior so that I am walking that way. The only change I should make in my static way of thinking, in my static way of responding, the only way that I should think, the only way that I should respond is what the Word of God says. I need to know what the Word of God says. The only exception to that, of course, is when I have been able to walk with God and learn His heart and understand when He has compassion. When Moses knew that by the Word of God, Israel should have been judged. But Moses interceded and tapped into the compassion of God and got them some time. When Abraham talked with God about the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and he said, if there were 50 righteous there, would you destroy the city? If there were 45 righteous there, would you destroy the city? He gets all the way down to 10 righteous. Would you destroy the city? And God said, all right, I will not destroy the city if I find 10 righteous people. And how many came out of there? Not 10, was it? There were not 10 in there. My habits maintain a threshold. It is my habits that maintain a threshold. The reason your car stays the way that it is is because of your habits in that car. The reason that your house stays the way as it is is because of your habits in that house. The reason the notes you take if you were in school, the reason your notes are disorganized and sloppy is because of the habits that you have. Habits maintain a threshold. To change the threshold, you have to change the habits. Are habits easy to change? They are not. Some of us are addicts to some of our habits. That's just the way we always do things. It's the way that we always were. When I was going to Rama and I had my first apartment on my own, I was an addict to the habit of getting every dish out of the sink before I went to bed. In fact, I could not go to bed. I could not sleep if every dish was not taken care of. If I remembered, oh, wait a minute, there's stuff, I would actually get up out of bed and go in the kitchen, clean them up, and then go to bed. That's just with a habit that I did. And that worked for me for years. And I got a roommate, a new roommate, as I was getting towards the end of Rhema, I got a new roommate. And this new roommate, he had the same view that I did, and we both made sure that all of our dishes were out of the sink and gone by the time we went to bed. And so every morning we woke up, the dishes were spotless. They were taken care of, they were all washed, they were all clean, they were all done. And then we decided to move out of that apartment. It was a two-bedroom apartment. And his brother was going to come in with us. And we were going to move into a three-bedroom one. I didn't have too much concern about it. I knew this guy fairly well. And he seemed to be doing okay. And so he brought his brother in. And everything changed. Because this brother did not only not clean all his dishes. He dirtied every single one he could possibly find. Everyone that he could possibly find. Now, I worked late at night. I would be coming home 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. And I came home the first night. He was in there with us. And I walked into the kitchen. And the dishes were all over the counter, all over in the sink. They were just, they were all dirty. Everyone was dirty and they were all over. I nearly fell over. But I have a habit. I cannot. So, they were not my dishes. I cleaned up every dish 
at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, I came home. I cleaned up every dish, dried them, put them away, and then went to bed to get up for school the next morning at 6.30 in the morning. The next night I came home. And the same thing happened. Now, I do not know when the habit changed, whether it was the first time, the second time, or the third time. But I eventually came on home and saw that and says, I am going to go to sleep despite the fact that this kitchen is dirty. And I went to sleep and despite the fact that the kitchen was dirty and did not stay with them for much longer. <laughs> oh my, that changed, that changed things from there, that point on. But that was a habit that I had. You can have whatever habit that you want. But it takes effort to change that habit in order to get that behavior that you want instead. To change the threshold, you have to change the habit. Don't become a spiritual relic. Change the habits. Stop being messed up with the who, the what, and the how. If you don't like how a person is towards you, if you don't like what they said, you don't like how they said it, stop reacting to their response. React from the Word. React from the Word on the inside of you. How many of you folks, you have habits of how you hear people? We all have habits of how we hear people. We can hear somebody say something, they don't like me. And if you think that, you also have some people, how many of you all know people that they think everybody likes them and no one does? (laughs) I have met a few people like that in my life. They think the whole world loves them and no one does. Everyone hates them. But they have that attitude about them. They just carry themselves in that way. And uh, But I'll tell you what, they get things done. They sell things. They do things. They move things. Because they have this attitude about them that everybody loves them. Even though no one does. And they have other people that people do like them. But they don't think so. And it changes how you respond. Changes. No profession in the world so, shows you this like sales. How many of you have ever been doing anything on the area of sales? And I don't just mean, you know, working at McDonald's and selling burgers. I mean, when you got to go out and you got to actually sell the thing. When I would walk into seafood stores and sell them on horseradish and cocktail sauce and our horseradish and cocktail sauce. If you went in there and you thought less of yourself, you didn't do so well. I told you the story before. When I first worked for them, for the first year I worked for them, I didn't do all that great on sales. In fact, sales didn't really do a whole lot. But I didn't think the highest amount about myself in this area. But then I... I began to learn some things about sales and I got better at it. And then I went away and I did some other things for sales which much harder sales than this, much more difficult sales. And I got tougher and I learned how to change my approach with people and uh, to approach them as, as if uh, they, it's not that they don't like me, it's they, they're not sure what I'm doing. And I would approach that and when I came on back to Kelsner's after that, I told you before, I went on a two-year run where I got z- every person that I went into to sell horseradish and cocktail sauce to, I came out with a customer every one for two years overcame every single no now did the customers change i changed i changed it's how you view yourself if you want to get change you got to change how you view yourself some of you have a wrong view of how god views you and when you go before god you think well god doesn't like me either no one else does God must not like me. And so we try and do things 
to help that out. We got some things still to go in this series to help you along those lines if, if that's something you're struggling with. I was coming back from the airport and or from the on the airplane ride and writing some things down for the next section of this and still developing. We'll get there with the rest of it, but I know some of the things that are that are going on. To change your threshold, you've got to change your habits. You've got to stop the habits of how you hear people. You've got to stop the habits of how you think. You've got to stop the habits of how you respond. Stop the habits or patterns that are detrimental. And you've got to start patterns that are helpful. You've got to start patterns or responses that are helpful. You've got to start thoughts that are helpful. It does not help you to think, so-and-so doesn't like me. So-and-so hates me. My job is going to fire me. This and that. It does not help you to have those thoughts. You've got to take those thoughts captive. Get them under control and work with them. Habits of pat- habits of patterns. Dynamic, apathetic, and erratic. Where are you at? Are you dynamic to the things you're supposed to be dynamic to and apathetic to those things that you should be apathetic to? Or are you dynamic to those things you should be apathetic to and apathetic to those things that you should be dynamic with? That is the worst combination you could ever be. That would be one very confused life, very unfulfilled life that goes nowhere. And it's not because God doesn't want you to. Our responses. Am I mimicking people? Am I critic, a critic of people? Am I skeptic, a skeptic all the time? How about my habits of thought? Am I more mystic, academic, or plastic? Or can I say that I move into the area of being static? Pertaining to or characterized by a fixed or stationary condition. Faithfulness is very much dependent on these patterns. Faithful people continue to do what God said to do, no matter what response they get from people. No matter how they feel at the moment. No matter what thoughts have come into their head. No matter what people have told them, they go to God. God, what am I doing for you? How am I to do this for you? That's what they focus on. Habits of faithful people will be found in these these three areas. Where are your patterns at? Where are your responses at? Where are your thoughts at? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the examples that You give us with Moses and with Jesus in the things that they did. We thank You that You've told us in the Word of God that we are to take thoughts captive. But too often we have let thoughts take us captive. They have ruined relationships, ruined jobs, pulled us out of places where we should have been, put us into places that we shouldn't have been. But Father, we want to bring those thoughts in line with Your Word. We want to bring those responses in line with Your Word. And as far as our patterns are concerned, we want to be dynamic to the things that You have called us to work in, called us to change, called us to take care of, and apathetic to those things that are in someone else's hands. We thank You for the help that You give us on it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.